everyone, and welcome to the Rumcast. We are the podcast that talks all things rum-related with the people who love and shape it. My name is John Gullah, and with me to help lead us through another installment of the Rumcast is the one, the only, Will Hookinga. And Will, we have a great episode lined up today for you all with name that maybe needs little to no introduction for most rum geeks, Mr. Ben Jones, director of Spiribomb for North America, who oversees well-known brands such as Rum Clement and Rum GM from Martinique, Chairman's Reserve from St. Lucia Distillers and others, as well as a few other distilleries we're going to talk about in the interview. But... First, Will, I know we received a lot of interesting and fun feedback from our most recent episode, and I know you wanted to share some of that. We did, yeah. So, great interview coming up, but before we get to that, wanted to go back to our previous episode, our epic blind Foursquare tasting, as as expected, prompted some some passionate reactions out there all of which were positive i think yeah. so I, I don't think we had we didn't have you know people calling us frauds for rating old brigand so high spoiler alert if you haven't listened to it yet but um, i wanted to share a few a few reaction emails that we got one of which came from josh in philly he also posted this on facebook so you may have seen it there if you if you follow the rumcast on facebook but Josh went out of his way to create a spreadsheet that took the scores that John and I came up with for all 10 of those four square rums and used a what he calls a price performance ratio. He took the mm-hmm. average prices of each bottle and then used this ratio formula, whatever it is. I don't know how, how all of the, the, the math works behind it. A function. A function, yeah. No, I have no idea. It's a quadratic <laughs> it's, equation. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, There's sine and cosine, uh, all kinds of, of terminology I haven't used since 11th grade coming out right now. But anyway, he the goal was to come up with like which is the most bang for the buck based on the average price and our average scores of each rum and what came out on top. And I, I honestly, I forgot this rum was this cheap, but Allie and Arthur came out on top in this, in this uh, calculation because mm-hmm. our average score was a seven and a half out of 10. You gave it an eight. I gave it a seven, but it's priced at only $14 on average. So it came out with the highest price performance ratio, just edging out Old Brigand, which came in second. So I think you and I both had that kind of reaction. We were mm-hmm. tasting through like, wow, we were really blown away with Old Brigand. But Allie and Arthur was also in there as like, man, for how cheap that rum is, that's pretty amazing. So it was fun yeah. to see that backed up by the by the math. You know, we were going off just our blind instincts, but now we have the math to back that up. Although I guess our blind scores factor into that math. So right. <laughs> we're still influencing <laughs> them to some degree. But I thought that was fun and wanted to give Josh a, a shout out for, for putting that together. Yeah, thanks, Josh. QED. It's done. QED? What is that? You're not familiar with QED, Will? No. Quod erat demonstratum. Oh, is that Latin? It is Latin, but it's I'm really like bad with Latin. It, it, okay, like I'm not a mathematician, like or uh, <laughs> either. So, but it, I believe it means that when you can prove something, like in a demonstrable way, like with mathematics, it, you say QED at the end. Okay. Of it. Now I'm gonna look really stupid because there's plenty <laughs> of people out there who know more about it than I do. But I'm pretty sure that's close. So well, you sounded smart for you sounded smart for using it, but I didn't know what it meant, so I had to ask you what it meant, and then that revealed that maybe you're not so smart after I'm, all. So I'm like a, a a seven out of ten on it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, one other note we got, I wanted to share. Mark from Atlanta wrote in and said. 
Um, he was delighted with our results. He wrote, you see, a dozen years or so ago, when I had less disposable income and much less knowledge, I endeavored to find the best of the cheapest spirits. I soon alighted on Old Brigand, my introduction to Bayesian rum and to sipping rum. Since then, I've graduated to the likes of Foursquare ECSs, etc., and left Old Brigand behind, and to which I'm now going to revisit. So, a very eloquently stated e- email there, but I-, I loved that someone, when they were first getting started on their spirits journey and were looking for the, the perfect intersection of value and, and taste, also landed on Old Brigand. So, maybe we weren't, yeah. we weren't so crazy after all, John. I don't know. I think we're on to something. There was a few other people that, that, that hailed the Old Brigand uh, winning, and, and w- they were actually saying beforehand that they thought it might win. Which it was crazy, right? I mean, we had at least one person. I think we mentioned proved Chris. prophetic. Yeah. Y- yes. So, like, I guess it's not out of nowhere, but I still feel like just the the price to value ratio, as we were mentioning, is just so high on it that it was it was surprising. We should so. probably shut up because I feel like next yeah. thing we know, we're going to go into Total Wine and Old Brigand is all of a sudden going to oh. be ten dollars more expensive. <laughs> and at least two people, I think, told me they couldn't find it in their local Total Wines. It's already so, happening. Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one, As one last. Seal sits back and laughs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> evil laughter. Doing the uh, the Scrooge McDuck dive into uh, all the all the Old Brigand profits. Um, one last email we got at, at one point during that episode, we struggled to do some sort of ill-informed coffee analogy. Do you remember this, John? We yes. were trying, both of us don't know anything about coffee and we were trying to compare coffee to rum and make a connection there and just struggling our way through it like a couple of idiots. Fortunately, we had Rumcast listener Nelson who wrote an incredible email in. I mean, I was like, this this could have been a blog post. And I'm not saying that to insult it as being a long email because it was really informative. It was. But Nelson is a coffee aficionado, huge coffee fan, and broke down for us the best way to compare coffee to rum. And I won't go into all the particulars, but basically... Nelson said from his perspective that specialty coffee has three main focuses. One focus is on the coffee varietals. The second focus is on the processing. And the third focus is on the location or terroir. And he said that the the best comparison for rum is in how the coffee is processed. But one of the main things we pointed out was you and I were going back and forth on the coffee aficionados like light roast or dark roast and nelson really cleared that up so this was my favorite comparison so basically in the world of coffee connoisseurship uh dark roasts are kind of the frowned upon you know heavily sweetened Mm -hmm. artificially flavored rums of the world so nelson said Dark roasts are generally but not always avoided. Dark roasts from mainstream brands like Starbucks are definitely avoided. They over-roast for consistency, which results in a burnt, bitter taste. So strong, burnt, and bitter for coffee, sweet, vanilla, and oak for the mass market rums that we kind of turn our noses up at. So I just wanted to set the record straight on, I think we were going in the right direction with the coffee and rum analogies. We just didn't have the requisite knowledge to really land the plane on that one. So I appreciate Nelson writing in and setting the record straight on that. I agree. And I totally, I found out, first of all, like one of my favorite coffees that I drink like on a daily basis is the Starbucks dark roast. So so you're basically, you're basically over there drinking like, uh, well, I don't know, like the, the Captain Morgan, yes. you know, cherry flavor, spice. I'm on the blue chair bay <laughs> coffee, apparently, exactly. yes. 
Um, <laughs> I didn't know, but you know, he made great points because one of the things I try to, I like, and the reason I usually get that coffee is because I guess I probably have a crap coffee maker. Like, it's just like, you know, not that great of a machine. And right. so I find that I get more coffee flavor out of it that way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that maybe I'll, I'll, will be my saving grace as to why I prefer that. Because I've tried the lighter roasts. I want to to explore those, but all the ones I've ever tried, they taste weak as heck to me. So I'm doing something wrong, but thanks to Nelson, at least I'm a little bit closer now than I was last week. So you gotta upgrade the gear. You gotta upgrade the gear. Well, other than that, other than struggling to bake your terrible coffee uh, for yourself, (laughs) how have things been going down in Miami? I'm doing okay, but it has been a week for me, let me tell you, because one thing that, maybe this has happened to you, Will, so I have to ask, have you ever burnt your tongue on something hot speaking of coffee funny enough oh that yeah that would have been it, a great transition yes damn it i missed that <laughs> golly i got there late it was just a little yeah. late but i so i burned my tongue yes on i've burned my tongue coffee. on something yeah everyone's done that done at some this? point right okay. yeah like i burned the crap out of my tongue this week okay and what i noticed is you know unsurprisingly to some degree is that man i can't like taste or drink the rum very well that I usually do and get the notes out of it that I usually do. So now I'm like Googling to like, well, how long is this going to last? And when is mm-hmm. it going to come back? I did find out that the mouth apparently heals the fastest of anything. Oh, uh, interesting. So like, you know, it'll, it said it won't take long to come back. And already The mouth today, is I'm... the Wolverine of body parts. <laughs> exactly. That, nice. It's me like making that. the comic book references on this episode. Excellent. Uh, I got to give you credit for that one. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so it's coming back already. Now it's been a couple of days. But I was just wondering if like, so when we have our taste buds on our tongue, and I know that they replicate, you know, every so often anyways, but Mm -hmm. like if that's going to change our impression of certain tastes and flavor profiles over time, like inherently, like our taste buds, do our taste buds change? I think they do. I've heard that as you age, like certain things don't come through as strongly and and things like that. And obviously, you know, if you can burn your tongue and change stuff, I'm sure there are natural, maybe there's some natural deterioration over time. Maybe we'll have a, a tongue expert send us an email and break it all down for us. Like I'm the sure hoping thing. so. Yeah. There has to be a tongue expert out there <laughs> that, and can tell us more about the tongue and whether or not, have you ever seen those tongue cleaners, by the way? That, that, like a like, tongue scraper thing? Yeah, tongue scraper. Like I yeah. usually, when I brush my teeth, I just use my like toothbrush, but apparently yeah. the tongue scraper is supposed to be better. So, you know, like do, should we be scraping our tongue to help our taste buds taste things better? Or maybe if you, if you scrape it too much, you yeah. know, does that lead to possible damage? Who we can say? T- we need a tongue expert. <laughs> well, <laughs> until we have one, um, as you said, we do have a great interview with Ben Jones from Spirabomb on this episode. And really, you know, we we had Keo O'Brien, who kind of runs all things marketing, does a bunch of stuff over there at Spirabomb. We had her on as maybe one of the first, I don't know, 15 or so yeah, guests on the podcast, mm-hmm. maybe two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was primarily focused on Rum Agricole in that interview and some of the things that they're doing with Rum GM and Rum Clement. And then we also, you know, a little while after that had... Uh, Margaret Montplaisy and Denny Duplaisy from St. Lucia Distillers on the Rumcast, but it had been a few years since those episodes, and we ran into Ben at Miami Rum Congress, and uh, we're like, hey, we need to catch up on, you know, just everything that's been going on. Also, they recently added a new distillery in French Guiana to their portfolio, another 
cane juice rum maker. That's very exciting. They also have one in Mauritius that we talk a little bit about, but it was a good chance to kind of catch up on all the new stuff that's coming from JM, from Clement, because uh, they, they have some really interesting releases coming up this year that we, we had a chance to try a few of them, but there were several Ben told us about that I didn't know were coming down the pipeline that are pretty intriguing. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, as always, interesting things at St. Lucia Distillers. I actually got a lot into kind of like the St. Lucia Distillers Spirobomb origin story and just a lot of history from there that I hadn't heard before and was really fascinating since that's a that that's such a I'm such a fan of that distillery so it was cool to get to learn about all that and um, talked a little bit about some of the new stuff as well which may not be coming to the U.S. you know soon necessarily but Mm -hmm. it was great to know about other distilleries out there that we don't get to see as often yeah not not soon come for those right (laughs) not soon come unfortunately (laughs) but maybe sometime at some point or maybe someday someday a lot of people yeah or we can go to it right (laughs) exactly we can take some trips and find it someday (laughs) or we can go to france and pick some up there in a year or so exactly yeah right so Count, count yourself lucky if you're in, in France and have access to all that lovely rum agricole from around the world. But with all that said, uh, let's go ahead, uh, take a quick break, and then get right over to the interview. We are here with Ben Jones, the director of Spirabomb for North America. Ben, we ran into you a couple months back at Miami Rum, Rum Congress. I think that was in February. I know you do a lot of traveling. What, what have your, where have your rum travels taken you since then? Have you done anything else? Wow. Well, yes. Somehow the month of April was quite a bit, but mainly just staying here in the U.S., domestic market. I don't know. In some sort of short order, there was New York, Florida, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, not in the same order. Wow. Houston, Texas, and Austin, Texas. So just a little bit then. Yeah. yeah. Did you make it on the plane for most of those? Jeez, yeah, right. a lot. <laughs> some of those cities were less than 24 hours, you know? Um, uh-huh. You know, like a, an overnight and a morning or afternoon or something like that. But uh, no, it was a lot going on. Some of it non-rum related. We now represent a cognac brand. But uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. We'll save that for another show. But the other <laughs> part of April for us is uh, we've less and more internally or externally, I guess you could say, if we're doing a good job. We tried to kind of declare April as the Rum JM month. Okay. It kind of just happened organically. And there is a pun there. Uh, sort of. <laughs> um, the fact is, is that last year, so April of 2022, we less or more adopted Earth Day or the month of April to basically exclaim, pronounce, announce our lifelong commitment to sustainability for Rum Jam through what's called the Eden Project. The Eden Project kind of started to take shape, I want to say, around 2010 or those years, a little over a decade ago, which was when we took drastic steps to make, you know, major investments into the rum jam distillery for overall production, overhaul, rehabilitation, refurbishment. We've added fermentation tanks. We added some adjacent lands for sugarcane, for more sugarcane, what have you. But as we started to invest more into the production 
part of it and amplify it and augment our production. There were a lot of, you know, upgrades as far as for equipment and mm -hmm. uh, what have you. But I, I guess by principle, every decision, every choice that was made was made first and foremost with the idea of the environment and the pastoral, uh, yeah, environment and pastoral area of where rum jame is produced you know it's it's an i don't know i don't know if you guys have been to martinique yet but we haven't no, no we were we were waiting on the invite yeah no <laughs> so your invitation is now in the email no <laughs> the invitation is there right right here it's right here you guys heard it live and direct will you're invited please come down to see we have no excuse now yeah yeah now now you have no excuse if you can even get there it's it's quite it's, i know yeah first of all it's difficult to get to martinique and then when you get to martinique it's extremely Extremely well. I mean, once you're on the island, that's probably the biggest. That's the biggest hurdle. But rum jam is uh, is in itself isolated on the island of Martinique. You have to. It's drive, like all the way on the north, right? Farthest, most northernmost point of the island to drive around to the backside of the volcano Mopele. And when you arrive at the jam distillery, it's literally like at the foot of the volcano, looking down above it when you enter. You know, it's just in this beautiful sort of jungle, you know, mm -hmm. rainforest jungle environment. And so really with that in mind, the overall rehabilitation and, and investment into production really, I mean, we we had to take the, the pastoral setting very, very much into the decision-making process. The, the short story is, is that we never took the cheapest option. We always took typically sometimes more often than not, the most expensive choice was made, but it was because of how we planned to re, we had an opportunity to really take a step back and to how could we like redesign and relay out how our production process are going to be, which we basically, and by the way, this wasn't so much in the idea of like, oh, we're going to be the most sustainable distillery in the world. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like, these are choices as you're making step-by-step -step year over year over year on what kind of brand that Rum Jam will be and should be. And, and really with the lifelong commitment to say that we are going to continue to improve the way rum jam is made every year, the people that are behind rum jam and how they are, you know, improve the people, invest in the people, mm -hmm. invest in the distillery, invest in the place. And in no short order, we created basically our own internal circular economy of production where, I mean, I don't know, like, how do I start? I'll start with the boiler. The boiler is, uh, you know, is a massive. It was a much bigger piece of equipment than we than we anticipated for it, and it had something to do with the fact that it's it's basically the best way for me to describe it is like it's like a catalytic converter. So there is a system where it reconsumes its own smoke, its own waste, and the end result is that there is no actual smoke put out into the atmosphere whatsoever. It, if you look very, very carefully, you can see that sort of transparent heat coming out of the stack, but there's no white or dark smoke. Mm. Most of the stories you see a white smoke and that's the scrubbers that are working that are, you know, basically your waste, that is, that is controlled by the European oh. union. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like France and the European union, but this is one step above. So there's really, when you're looking at the distillery, it almost looks like it's not even in production because you can't mm. see the smoke. Right. The Vinas, which is the spent sugarcane wine, that is totally now naturally organically treated. Other distilleries would probably use calcium or lime to retreat, you know, to basically treat the pH. We now pump the, we built a system of like five different basins, pools that are actually up in the sugarcane fields. And with some organic vegetal matter and some bacteria and enzymes <clears throat> that are introduced, 
you know, you have these lilies and these other plant organisms with the bacteria that are consuming, they're working together, consume nitrogens and, and, and basically balancing the pH, which then, so we'll use that condition, Binas, and we mix it with ash from the boiler as well as spent sugarcane, the bagasse, and we make our own compost, which mm-hmm. goes over the sugarcane fields and actually on our banana fields. And actually by accident, we learned that um, we've been able to increase our bananas yield by 17% since wow. we've been using that. All of the management now is driving electric vehicles. Um, We have a totally equal gender base between men and women on the management team. There are now something like 950 hours of paid technical training that is given to our staff to continue to improve, maintain and improve the way we're producing. And this year, this Earth Day, we took the occasion to use the month of April to launch and introduce Terra Volcanique. And so that's the newest expression of rum jam that's right. coming. Um, it's a three-year-old age rum, but we don't take an age statement. We're really more proud in, in talking about the product and where it comes from. Terroir volcanique. So it's you know the, it's the sugar canes growing up the slopes of the of the volcano. It really talking about you know our place, our location, the influences of of how we produce the rum, not just with the sugar cane and the distillate, but also the way we treat the barrels. These are barrels that were, you know, we, we introduced them first to rechar bourbon barrel, and then they go to our own uh, recharred barrel that we are reconditioning, but they are charred to a very, very high maximum char level, basically a, a char five, which I think is actually off this off, off of the, yeah. the scale. You turned it up to 11. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it is a deep, 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 rich, like alligator toast char. Mm. Uh, these are barrels that we've already used for our rum, so they're already soaking with our rum. So we're just charting, using the rum that's in the barrels to, to char it. But the toast level is really designed to actually create a smoky flavor, almost like a peaty flavorness to it. So the, 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 the fruitiness, I mean, the, the rum is not overaged by any means. It's th- three months. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, that's still fairly green. And so you're getting like that nice sort of fresh, you still have that fresh sugarcane rum mixed in with that sort of smoky charred aging from the barrel. And I feel like you get this like nice sort of like peaty, minty, and and very much smoky flavor to the rum, which is very, very cool. And so it's really just, you know, it, it's really celebrating, you know, where we're, we are, where we are producing, where we're distilling and where we're aging and how we treat our own barrels. We have our own cooperage that as we're repairing and recharging the barrels and we're able to customize our toast and char levels in a variety of different ways to create uh, different flavors. And all of that goes, all the credit goes back to credit to Karine, Karine LaSalle, who is our master blender and of course, uh, head of the cellar. Yeah. And this this is the rum that is replacing VO in the lineup, correct? Exactly, Will, yeah. So yeah, John and I had, had a chance to try that at Rum mm-hmm. Congress. Um, really nice rum, excited for more people to try it. When did, so, when you make a decision like that, um, you know, we're going to have this new product that's going to replace a long-standing product that people are used to seeing. How long ago did you make that decision? And how long does it take to go from conceptualizing the idea to actually changing everything over and getting it out there? I think it, I think that's a unique question for each product, in my opinion. Um, I think what happened with Terra Volcanic was when, when we all saw the packaging. I first laid eyes on the bottle and then the way that uh, the, the labels were designed and, and I didn't have any really any input into it. I don't have input into every bottle and every product, but I do have 
I do have some input on, on many mm-hmm. of them, but this one I didn't. I don't think I, I other than you know we we kept the same color scheme and whatnot. But I just love the bottle. It's kind of got that you know non-transparent sort of foggy uh, yeah. glass to it, mm-hmm. and the, and then I just overall the label like really stands out when you see the distillery and and it, like the the packaging kind of tells beautifully the the story that we're, I'm I'm trying my best to tell you what how the liquid came together. Overall, I think that BO, which is an age statement, is not overly sexy as an age statement, mm. you know, three years old. Um, I don't think it's as well established as like what VSOP and XO is. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I don't think anyone was buying JMBO because of the age statement. I thought right. they were, I would have said they were buying it because it's really, really good rum. And, you know, it's an age rum and, and they're probably buying for a rum jam. So I think that what started out as like a little project that Karen was playing with as far as toasting these barrels and creating this new flavor profile. And then I went into this product and then, you know, the brand manager, Roxanne led the development of the label and the whole, the, really the whole thing came together, the story packaging. And I would tell you that VO is not at all canceled. It, it was just that I don't need another rum at the same it's i i did decide to, to sell it at the same price point of bo uh-huh. but i thought i thought that the two were cannibalizing each other and i thought we would really be better served to really give terrible volcanic its own space its own platform to to succeed so that's why that's at least that's what we're doing in the united states terrible volcanic took off in france i don't think they've canceled bo or, or anything like that. i don't know if the word cancel is but they discontinued bo mm-hmm. and i know we haven't done so in martinique so it was just more of a U.S. decision. So, well, we've gone way into Rum JM, uh, yes. which is fantastic in terms of the... And the focus actually answers one of my questions later. I still want to get to it, but I get where that happens and, and the focus uh, on that brand for this month. I, I want to take a step back for people first to start by saying, I know you're a well-known name and a well-known face, especially among the Rum Cognoscenti, if you will. Um, <laughs> but uh, for those that might be a little less familiar, I know your title at Spiramama is managing director, and I think it would be interesting to set the landscape for people to tell, uh, for you to tell them what does your job entail and what does an average day look like for you? How involved are you in each of those brands under Spirit Bomb? Well, if you could ever tell me what an average day looks like. Um, <laughs> when you're not on a plane, that is. Yeah, right. Um, so there's a few questions in there. An average day, there is no average day. When I do start having average days is when I start to get bored and uh, restless. So it's probably dangerous if I have an average day. Right now, I'm in my office in Rhode Island. I moved to Rhode Island almost 12 or 13 years ago. I started the company when I was living in New York City, at least the, the U.S. base of operations and whatnot, when we first introduced in Rum, Rum Clamont, mm-hmm. the United States. I guess that's my first segue into how I got into this, which was that... Um, my my mother's originally from Martinique, and I grew up around the brand Rum Clement. My great uncle on my mother's side is Omer Clement, the founder of Rum Clement. Mm-hmm. And um, I always grew up as a child thinking that you know, I was always very insanely proud of Rum Clement and my heritage in Martinique and visiting, and just I, I was always very proud and and um, about my roots, you know, the French Caribbean roots in Mar- Martinique and Rum Clement for me was. It was very much in in my face all the time. So I why why wouldn't it be you know a well known brand? And then it wasn't until I matured a lot later. And, and actually, really for me, when I got to college, everyone's drinking Captain Morgan and Coke or something like that. Why well, we don't have to 
drink this crap. <laughs> yeah, I love the I love the story you told um, uh, the interview with Rum Revelations about bringing a bottle of VSOP to your college yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> dorm room. Yeah. And I was trying like to imagine if I had encountered Clomont VSOP when I was you know. <laughs> 18, 18 or 19, or 19 if, right. I, if I would have been ready for it. I don't think I would have been. So I feel like it's better that I found out about it later in life. Well, it's so interesting because that's the opposite approach, right? So Ben is saying, hey, I grew up with this and right. kind of, you know, it was always there versus the opposite of like, well, when we're, especially us in the U.S., maybe more gravitating towards the molasses-based rums in our market. And then so it kind of gives you this completely inverse perspective, which is interesting, right, Ben? Inverse perspective is, is yeah. totally ideal. By the way, I still at that time, even though I, I would say maybe I was first days of being a brand ambassador, I was not planning on going into the rum business by any right. means. That happened after school. I could have been a finance bra. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made for a much less interesting interview now, though. Yeah. So depends. Maybe maybe I'd be maybe I'd have like the first rum Bitcoin. I don't know. <laughs> NFT, but, a rum NFT. Right. <laughs> of the bottle. Those are doing great right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, but I did stumble stumble into the beverage alcohol business. I was a brewer for a small, um, actually quite well established now, but small craft brewery in, in Portland, Maine. I got into, I was bartending. I was working restaurants, serving all that stuff. I was in hospitality. I always had a good, I always had a massive love affair with food. Again, growing up, growing up with my mother, growing up at a farm, watching her, you know, make riette mm -hmm. and pate mm -hmm. and, and even playing with cheese and butter and what have you. I ended up in Italy working with Italian wine brands and basically started incubating an incubating company to to launch these wine brands, which is basically where the the two roads converged with rum. So with at a family dinner I had learned through my uncle that uh, Rum Clement was looking to expand off of the island Martinique and in France and get better organized and um, that I was already importing these Italian wines, so the question was, why don't you try to import Rum Clement? And so, fast forward, that's how it got started. I started with Rum Clement and the Italian wine at the same time, but after about a year and a half, two years, I stopped with the wine business altogether, and I've been doing this since then. JM came shortly thereafter. The group brought in Rum Jam in 2002, 2003, which kind of accelerated the conversation about Rum Clamont and Rum Jam eventually coming off of the island and, and, and developing a, a little bit of business behind these behind these brands and, and to celebrate you know where they come from and, and really exporting that the culture, the French Caribbean culture of, of rum and tea punch and, and rum alcohol, et cetera. But Rum Jam was not at that time ready. When I first got started, it was not at that time ready. It needed a lot of work, as we already talked about, to right. to be rehabilitated and and then just even getting rum in the barrel for aging. You know, mm. it takes time, of course. So it wasn't until about two thousand nine that we brought rum JM, and then uh, but very very small 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 quantities. It's only recently now that uh, after we already talked about um, with rum JM and it's. Uh, Gross cycle recently in the last uh, decade or so that uh, you start to see rum jam more globally distributed. When yeah. you say that that JM wasn't exactly ready, is, is that upgrades that need to take place at the distillery itself? Is it the, the the products that are available in the packaging? Like like what all is it that needed to to? No, change? in two thousand two, the previous family, the Kasmudai family, they were they were. I don't know. The brand was really at its last legs, almost into financial despair and into bankruptcy. They were oh, wow. selling off bulk sugarcane and bulk rum to competition just to kind of pay some bills. And there was a, 
And then there was another major regulation that came down and a, a mandatory investment into fire retardation that came from the government that, that mm. if that was not done, then um, they were they would have forced to sell. Okay. Well, there was a massive threat that one of the other major groups in Yemen was going to take it on and uh, fold it into their operation and probably close down the distillery and mothball the distillery and just take the brand. Wow. And uh, the Ayat family came in literally at the 11th hour and saved it from such peril and decided to keep it totally independent to keep in the, the, the rum agricole Martinique rum industry alive and, and diversified with to try trying to preserve these beautiful heritage brands what they are yeah. so when yes when we so I, i'm talking like in 2003 2004 i i, I first come around in 2000 like i, I first start working officially and in, in, with ron come in 2004 so this is just soon after but there was a lot of time and energy needed to take place as far as distilling a rum jam, putting away some rum to age in barrels and just getting everything kind of online. So that's what I mean to say that rum jam was not ready. And then it wasn't ready for massive, you know, global brand development and distribution or anything like that. Not until at least five, six years could could, could transpire. Yeah. So, so this is a comeback story then. This is a comeback story. Uh, it's a marathon, but it's a comeback it's, story. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess you have to know about Rum Jam before then. Rum Jam has always carried like a you know a legacy where you know it's one of the finest rums uh, on the island. And when we when we got involved, it was the smallest producing distillery on the island. And now I think we're Rum Jam is probably catapulted to maybe the fourth largest distillery on the island, which is wow. quite quite a quite a significant feat. I was just going to say, it's really interesting because at Rum Congress, John and I both had the opportunity to try the vintage release, the latest one the, that was distilled in 2002. Yes. And it's it's crazy to imagine that all that kind of almost turmoil, uh, peril the brand was under was like right around that time when that yep. rum was distilled. And I, I was blown away by that rum. I thought it was incredible. So... Um, yeah, I'm looking for that one too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's always wild to think about, you know, what was happening with a distillery at the time when the product was actually distilled, and now you're seeing it now, and the right. brand is in a completely different place. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just cool to think about. Yeah. So Ben, with your background being as diverse as it is, I was curious to know how often are you engaged with the production of the rums and how often are you tasting products and providing feedback? Well, I'm probably I'm tasting and providing more feedback in the finishing processes in the uh, in the blends as we're putting together new products. I was doing that more so pre-pandemic, traveling mm-hmm. a lot to the distillery. You know, to St. Lucia Distillers, I was very involved in Chairman's Legacy. And now that was the first expression, at, you know, under Chairman's that we really developed, I would say, as Spearbomb in partnership with the SLD crew. Mm-hmm. Chairman's Original, Chairman's White, Chairman's Spiced, Forgotten Cask. Those all came in, you know, when 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 we acquired St. Lucia Distillers and, and the first I would say the first project was really to to just give a big facelift and rehabilitation to the brand chairmans and to really understand the brand chairmans. Yeah. But we did a packaging upgrade. And, you know, we really wanted to, I, I loved, you know, the story behind Laurie Barnard. Mm-hmm. I really found him to be a visionary, a man way, way ahead of his time in the rum industry. And, and you know, kudos to him. He, he was very, very humble, but he didn't like to talk too much about himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a shame because his story is a great one. 
And I wish more people knew about him and how important he is to St. Lucian's St. Lucia's Rum history and legacy. Um, but we have to kind of do that now for him. So we created Sherman's Legacy. And the idea that I wanted to kind of do was bring a a sort of a, a baby version of 1931 to the bottle. 1931 was the last brand project that he worked on mm. prior to his death. He actually signed the first formula in 1931 from his hospital bed. Oh, wow. And, and the 1931, as you know, was its own independent brand that was just being launched at, by SLD, St. Lucia Distillers, mm-hmm. um, at the time of his passing. And then they continued on with it, you know, basically honoring his wishes and following his, his direction. But it didn't make a lot of sense going forward because they were coming up with new blends every year, but there was not a lot of inventory and and, and there was always going to be a limited edition type of release. And we just needed to do some overall brand and ski rationalization. So we folded 1931 under chairman's. And so we have the chairman's 1931 with one consistent annual formula. But, you know, I wanted to continue to keep that story and that legacy going of blending. And we've now taken, you know, the slogan art of blending for chairman's around the world. So we talk a lot about blending. We talk a lot about the history and what and the influences and the impacts that Mr. Barnard brought to the distillery over his tenure as managing director, as chairman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for over 30 years and legacy is that. So, you know, legacy is a blend of rums that are five to eight years old, but there is an expression from each of the, of the stills. So you have the, the, the column still shows up, John door one, John door two, Vendome, all of these distilled maturates that are coming from these still show up. Plus a little bit of sugarcane juice. Yeah. John door one, that's at five years old. And so all of the different like little inputs that Laurie brought onto the distillery over the, his tenure as chairman came in and show up in the chairman's legacy. And then in real true fashion and, and keeping it really Laurie's project, you know, we, we fought hard to get to a price point at, at around $40 a bottle because again, yeah. in his humble personality, I, I, he wouldn't have, I don't think he would have appreciated the fact that if we put his rum in some sort of glorious decanter, you know, some flashy packaging <laughs> and charge, you know, hundred fifty dollars for it or something like that 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 wouldn't be that wouldn't that that wouldn't fit his legacy yeah so it's in the standard chairman's bottle it's at 40 42 dollars around the united states market unfortunately i mean i i think we should be doing a lot better with it we launched it during the pandemic we could do a lot much better much better with it because i love the rum the rum is phenomenal it's like a little baby you know it's like a little rum salad like all these different things going on with it <laughs> rum salad um, i think that <laughs> i think that uh uh you know someone that's really into rum should grab a bottle and try it because it's the best bang for your buck honestly um, well you're uh, you're preaching to the choir uh john and i've talked about that rum i, I think like we I, maybe our first year, I don't know if our second year doing the podcast, we started doing like a year in review episode at the end and like have some categories and, and talk about some of our favorite rums in various categories. And we've done like a best value category. And one, I don't remember which year it was, but one of the years, one of us picked um, Chairman's Legacy for that. For all the we reasons agree. you just, for yeah, yeah for all the reasons yeah. you just mentioned, like I, I have nothing else to add because you described exactly why I think that's such a great rum. But um, yeah, it, it really is cool, and it's it's awesome how you can taste so many different components in it. It's got the juice in there. So um, I did. Now that we're on to Saint Lucia Distillers, I know when Spearbomb came into the picture with them, you made a lot of investments in upgrading the distillery 
giving the packaging a facelift as you were talking about some new products came about I, I wanted to ask when you when you acquire a distillery and, and brands like that what is what is kind of the process for assessing everything how do you decide what to focus on and what to leave alone because I think that's something interesting with St. Lucia distillers is is it seems that you you know gave them a lot of resources to upgrade things but it seems like you you know weren't super hands-on in terms of like now do all this stuff differently with your production um and that struck me as a decision that not everyone would have made perhaps and it seems like one that has paid off uh so how do you kind of take stock of, of what's out there and decide what to focus on and what to leave alone with something new well i mean every distillery is its own living breathing uh identity hmm. and i think it the choices are basically, I, was, I mean, you already said it, it's what we come and we bring to the table and what and what, and what the distillery or what the other side brings to the table. It really should be seen more as a, as a marriage, mm. I think. You know, I don't know, like, my wife doesn't watch or, or listen to run podcasts, so I can say this, but as much <laughs> as I'd ever wanted to, to change anything about her, you know, it, I would never do that because it that doesn't make our partnership or our, our are like very interesting, right? Um, yeah. yeah, we'll grab that clip and we'll send it to you separately, <laughs> so you can just you know show it to her. <laughs> but but I mean ultimately, you know, so it, so every every sort of disi- the distillery, I guess you know they're they're all very different. But I would say that we probably come with the idea of you know what synergies exist between the two sides, the two parties, and what can we leverage. And in the case of Saint Lucia Distillers, they were making great rum. That was something we just we needed to leverage, mm-hmm. not change, but leverage. The fact that they were making phenomenal rum led by Mr. Barnard, and like after his passing, you know, they basically were. If I had to make a criticism in a good way, they were robotic. They had their notebook, and they said, "Mr. Barnard asked us to make you know this many thousands of liters of John Doerr two rum, and this many thousands of liters of of John Doerr one rum, and you know we're supposed to fill this many barrels, and we're supposed to purchase." You know, two dozen port casks a year. You know, it was very robotic. And I remember coming in the very beginning, we kind of did a quick, quick math, which was like, well, they're only producing like sixty percent of the rum that they're producing is going into like their everyday sort of proprietary blends. You know, mm. Chairman's and Bounty and Admiral Rani, and all these other things were were done on an experimental basis, but that's a lot. You know, maybe it wasn't forty percent, but it was something like yeah, call it thirty to forty percent. Yeah, that that does seem like and it's like what are you guys doing oh well he asked us to do this and make all these different rums and and i'm sure he had an idea you know he was just already working on the 1931 project what have you but but they needed to you know pay bills and whatnot so they were selling that stuff to the bulk market Uh uh-huh so independent bottlers were like drooling and and coming through and you know there's brands like hamilton had some and plantation had some and dairy brothers and rudd had some and you know there was People were pulling out, you know, St. Lucian rum, and it was they were throwing their own labels on it. So that's where it was going. So our first, you know, decision honestly was to stop that, not to not to change the way that we're making their rum. The rum was fantastic, yeah. but but you know, and they were. Very, I would say they were very fortunate that somebody wasn't taking their rum and and making I don't know lizard breath St. Lucian rum or. Bu- <laughs> bubblegum flavored, you know, rum or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and potentially really, you know, hurt, hurt and tarnish the overall identity of St. Lucia and St. Lucia rum and the legacy of Lori and all those things. So, you know, they're fortunate that, and I'm, you know, and they're not stupid either. So they were working with good operators and bottlers, right. what have you. So 
it wasn't that it wasn't that bad, but who knows? And so I think, but you know, if we were going to make the investments and the upgrades and what we were going to do to uh, the distillery and, and what we were going to do for the brands, the the most important part was to have full full control over the rum that was leaving the island and making sure that the these you know treasures, these rum treasures, were really used for our own bottling. So mm-hmm. the first step was to was you know launching a barrel program for chairmans and really kind of open up the cabinet of the rums that we had in our. Yeah vault and to really get rum connoisseurs and, and enthusiasts really excited about St. Lucia, excited about Chairman's Reserve. Um, and we launched the Chairman's Reserve Master Selection with some really, really iconic bottlings that were, of course, limited. You know, it'd be one cask, so 220, 230 bottles of this, mm-hmm. you know, 16-year-old pot still at cast strength or a 50-50 blend of pot and column or a or a 50-50 blend of pots, two pots blended together, which then spent another eight or 10 years in Madeira cask. Yeah. Like some really cool stuff that uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. doesn't really fit into the framework of a brand by itself, but like it fits under Chairman's because Chairman's is the art of blending and it kind of helps tell the story that this is Chairman's mm-hmm. is constructed mm-hmm. and that our blender has 54 mattress to work with every day that he's tasting, that he has to find a way to, to plug in and yes, we have the 1931 and we have the Legacy, which are these cool bespoke blends that we're putting out every year. But we have the Forgotten Cask and we have the Vintage. There's a Vintage blend now that's really cool. You know, that the Vintage blend, we did a 2009 and next to come up is the 2011 where Danny Duplacy, the master blender, mm-hmm. taking... I, I always thought this was like a, was an oxymoron. I was like, how do you do a vintage blend? But all of the all of the distillates are coming from the same vintage. So in the 2009, you have five different uh, rums distillates mm-hmm. that all came from the different all, all the different stills, mm-hmm. which were aged independently in the in the cellar and then blended together 11 years later, and that's your vintage blend. And so these things are happening already. Some of the some of the cooler stuff that I see, like going back to our barrel program, was like I love when when. Some, there was something that Lori, I believe it was, came from Lori or somebody, maybe Ian or, or Denny, but around three years is when they start to play with blending these rums. So they'll take a column distilled rum and a pot distilled rum, and after three years of aging, they'll marry it together and put it in a barrel and then let it sit for eight years. Or a Ben Dome still and a John Door 2 still, pot, two pot still rums, and at three mm-hmm. years, blend it together, and then they'll put it back in the cellar for seven, eight, ten years. Or and then after that, it might transfer to a forecast for a couple of years. So all these different things are happening. It's it's, it's really hard to find. Follow the family tree from yeah. the still to the cellar to to, to bottle what have you. But, right. but these are the, this is the art of blending. That it's not just happening in the lab when you're blending different rooms together. The blending sometimes starts years prior to that during the aging process. Right yeah. during the aging process. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway. I mean, getting back to your original question, no, we didn't have to change anything that <laughs> we're doing in their production. They probably it, it was really a a ship without a captain. Uh-huh. We were there as a captain. We had to kind of give them the the confidence to keep doing what you're doing. In effect, in pure Lori legacy, continue to push the envelope and challenge. What else can we be doing? What else have you thought about doing? You know, Lennox Wilson, who's Jamaican has always t- spoken fondly of, of doing something with like cane trash and coming up with different sort of, you know, bacterias and in, in, in mm-hmm. our fermentation processes to come up with new flavors. I mean, so we're, we're open to all these ideas. No, what we come in with is, um, you know, distribution ex- expertise, marketing expertise, overall, you know, packaging and all those things. I would not say 
I say <laughs> distribution and marketing expertise, which I think we still have a long way to go as far as learning the game of distribution and marketing, all of those things. But but we come, you know, from an outside perspective, a young, passionate, energetic team that has a good vision. And and I think that our team is is very passionate about what we're doing and we're very passionate about the rum community and the rum universe. And mm-hmm. so we're very fortunate to start with brands like Clamont and the Jam and then eventually have Chairman's and then Bounty and Admiral Rodney from St. Lucia. And now we have some other brands from the Indian Ocean, from Mauritius. Mm-hmm. We just actually acquired another rum distillery, an agricultural distillery in South America, in, uh, in French Guyana. Mm-hmm. So we, we like rum and we see a, a, a very, very bright future for rum the, the challenge is to, is to educate the consumer, educate the drinker about these different rums. And I think some of the f- biggest fight we have is that we're fighting the same marketplace with rums that aren't so, I would say, legitimate or transparent as we can be. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we really tried. I mean, we don't have to try so hard because we, we believe on the principle of of being transparent and direct and, you know, following the path of education and, and not really trying to mislead the consumer. And it's a little bit different, you know, when you're, when you have to fight with other brands that have a different, different mentality. Yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. And in the chairman's reserve master selection, because I think the education piece goes hand in hand with that. We've talked a lot about how those master selections and the single stills or w- what have you just, just having that diverse kind of different stills and different aging and different components available in that way helps with the education at a different level, perhaps than maybe at a basic level. But it's very interesting to see those and allow us to kind of explore that as rom connoisseurs a little bit more. I'm glad you mentioned it also because I was thinking as we were preparing for this interview that, gosh, Chairman's does such an amazing job with that barrel program and all of those releases, but we don't really see it as much from the Martinique Spearbomb brands. I know they exist, and I think we even saw like a, a Grappa release for a Clement that's coming out, uh, and a Brandy release. So I know they exist, but I, for whatever reason, in the U.S. market, I don't feel like we see those as much. And I wanted to get your your opinion on that. Well, they're coming. Okay, they, good. They are definitely coming. I mean, first and foremost, we have to get the American consumer onto agricultural rum. The rum agricultural is is still very much in its infancy, I think, in the United States. But what? can excite and bring more enthusiasm to rum agricole as doing some of these, uh, you know, unique releases. Rum JM a few years back did a very, very cool program with releasing rums that were finished in Calvados, Armagnac and Cognac casts. And they did a, they did a partnership with Leconte Calvados, uh, Armagnac Terrique and and Cognac Dilemma. They only bottled them in 500 ml. So those were already Mm. not, available for the United States for that purpose, but they did it. They did it that bottle size because they didn't do so many casks. And so they basically were effectively able to, um, you know, spread out the, yeah. the extend the release by using smaller bottles to, um, we love smaller size bottles. Yeah. We, we talk all the time about how we wish more brands would do that. Yep. That's what, that's what they did. But, but that was, they chose a bottle size that was not available for the U S or otherwise I would have brought some of that in that rum is delicious. I still have some here. Clement probably had the first barrel program in in Martinique and what I was doing in the United States, I did the Clement cask collection. Mm-hmm. But wow, we've come a long way since then. Those were like single casks mm-hmm. and some of them were like single bridal. We did like Ken Blue, 100% Ken Blue aged four years or six years or something like that. And then we just did, we just did different things like with choosing between French oak and New American oak and Breach Harbor barrel. But 
but yeah, I know we had to continue to innovate, I guess, and uh, to, you know, to try to stay one step ahead. And then anyway, we took the program a little bit further and now we're doing these uh, finishes. So coming this year, you have the grappa finish, you have a sake finish, uh, tequila finish. There is Oloroso, Pedro Jimenez, and there's one more brandy, French brandy finish. Mm -hmm. So there's six of those. Um, those are all four-year VSOP rums that were then aged an additional year in those six different barrels. This year, we're adding sherry, we're adding ice wine, I think we're adding Belgian beer, we're adding, and then we're repeating tequila and sake, I believe. So we'll do another six. So that's that program is happening now, which will be released next year in 2024. So come on, and, and these are all cast strength. So this year, you'll start to see trickling now. The product is just arriving now into the market. So you'll see it out into the market. And there's only not so many bottles each, between 300 and 500 of each bottle. I think people listening will be surprised by some of those cask types. I mean, it's, you know, it's not the only time that I've seen rum, you know, with a tequila finish. It might be the first grappa one that I've seen, but out of all of those... What, was, were there one or two in particular that kind of surprised you the most in terms Grappa. of either how much you enjoyed Same. them or just what yeah. it did to the rum? Grappa, for, by far, was I, I didn't I didn't expect it. I didn't. I mean, I again, I I had a little experience with a grappa when I was in the Italian wine business, mm -hmm. and oh, grappa, like okay, barrel aged grappa, and you don't. First of all, you don't see a lot of barrel aged grappa. Yeah, yeah, so. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, just, I thought the, I thought the products would be too close to have like a real influence, you know, a, a, and that's kind of like foolish to say, because, you know, Brandy is a, is a great base distillate. So, so is Grappa, mm -hmm. but like, you know, just, I don't know. I, I wasn't expecting a lot and, and the, the overall change in flavor profile and the, and the positive change and the, the, the delicious sort of nuance mm -hmm. of the finish of, of that rum is, is the one that's kind of caught me by surprise. I love that Oloroso and the Pedro Jimenez. It, it adds a little sweetness to the to the to the French rum agricole, which is nice to to, to have because it takes a little bit of the edge off the dryness. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of like a unique sort of input or influence into the rums that you don't typically see without you know adding introducing a, a different barrel type like that. Yeah, everyone everyone from a sales perspective went hot over sake, and I think that was just because how unique it was, and then yeah. because everyone if it says tequila on the bottle it seems to sell. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, uh, yeah, uh, um, for next year, I'm, I'm also very curious about ice wine. I think that, that will be one of the, that'll fit in that category of like another sort of nice, not unctuous, but like a little sweetness that you can get from oak that, uh, that that'll be a positive influence, but we'll, we won't know until we taste it next year. Yeah. I'm excited just to see more of those hit the market for sure. I, w I wanted to so we're kind of bouncing around now. I want to circle back to St. Lucia Distillers for a second because you were talking about Laurie Barnard kind of, you know, being a visionary. And like one of the things that I've noticed with them that I have, have been kind of like, wow, they were so ahead of the curve on that was the sugarcane development, you know, for this molasses based rum distillery, planting sugarcane, finding ways to also use sugarcane juice as, as a blending component. I, I feel like we're seeing more rum producers making investments in sugarcane cultivation. In some cases, it's someone like Foursquare, for example, who wants to use cane juice as a blending component. Then you also have Mount Gay kind of building their own 
sugar refineries so they can have more of their own, you know, estate molasses, that kind of thing. St. Lucia Distillers has been, you know, doing this for several years now. And I wanted to see, like, do you see sugarcane production, cultivation growing in the coming years? What kind of long-term plans does the distillery have for that? Or is, or is it always just going to be kind of, you know, a little small minor blending component? Or, or do you see it developing into something much bigger than it is now? I think it'll always be small. Okay. Like, minute. We did already triple the size of the sugarcane <laughs> that we had. We When we acquired SLD, we had five acres of, under sugarcane. Now we have 15. But that's a that's fifteen a, is still small, so I, I see what you is, mean. Yeah, but it's three is, times what it was. Yeah. yeah, right. So it's fifteen is minuscule. So that's only allowed us to, um, you know, obviously increase our sugar cane distillation by threefold. I guess we can't expand any further than that unless we bought a little bit more property, which we are trying. Sure, and that's always tricky on you know a small island. We bought when we bought Silushi Distillers, we did buy some adjacent lands. Okay. And, some of that for that sugarcane, it's, like I said, it's all it's owned by the government, so it's just a question of getting the government to uh, to release. But it's all agricultural land; it's not for development. It, you know, it's it's actually f- fairly wet land. Hmm. Uh, you have the Rosa River that kind of cuts through it. But we bought some extra land to which we're going through major investment at the distillery now. The first phase of, of the investment was into again retooling and and just bringing you know, newer, modern equipment to the distillery, as well as more of it. So we, we've, we've built so far two aging warehouses, cellars as well. And there's another one coming on, on, on the way, plus another warehouse for storage of dry goods and whatnot, and then some upgrades needed in the mm-hmm. distillery. And then the, where we needed the extra land was that we also are investing into a tourism program to uh, properly welcome guests and visitors to the distillery it's the only distillery on the island right with like a million tourists coming every year people are going to want to go to the rum distillery anyway typically i mean by accident i think they received 40 or forty-five thousand people and it's not very well organized or set up that's probably not fair i hope my friends in st lucia aren't saying that but it's not it's it's not as nice as you, it could be and that's something that we do very well in martinique you know in martinique you have Almost 10 smoking distilleries, you know, particularly with the, you count the new craft, you know, we've been- Even when you can't see the smoke, you, you can still call that's them right. smoking, right? <laughs> that's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's something we do very well because, you know, I guess, you know, people, it's more, there is a, a route to Rome, there is a, you know, a more organized trail yeah. to and, um, and check out all the distilleries. But anyway, in St. Lucia, you know, the idea is that we'll be able to welcome more and more guests, even visitors from- from cruise lines who are only there for the day and they want to, you know, check it out. So, so more to come when you see St. Lucia, you know, that you'll see that distillery and as well as the overall educational experience and visitor experience is going to be dramatically improved. But this question was about sugarcane. And so we only, uh, so we, we have 15 acres of sugarcane. Now we still use the same, practically it's a, it is machine, but it's hand fed. So it's the still very uh, old, old sugarcane mill that Lori brought in, mm-hmm. which I think he bought used. He never bought anything new, but we've, you know, that's been there at least twenty years. Lori started using sugarcane simply because he wanted to propagate his own proprietary yeast from sugarcane. Oh, so he brought the, okay. he brought sugarcane clippings from Barbados, planted them there, where the only intention was to for the yeast, the natural field yeast from the sugarcane to make his own, and which is today the yeast that we use for all of the product that we would release as an aged rum. 
any aged wow. product. Otherwise, we use a commercial yeast for the high proof mm. rums that are like Denros or the mm-hmm. rums that we use for the creams and the liqueurs and, and things like that. So he successfully yeah, created his own sugarcane proprietary field yeast from that sugarcane. And then, you know, so he only needed the, the little five acres for that. And then as he had the sugarcane, he was always wanted to experiment and play with stuff. And Martinique being his neighbor to the north, he knew about agricole rum. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to, he just tried to start with the five acres crushing sugarcane. It takes, you know, with only five acres, it would take only a few days, I guess. You know, it's all cut by hand and, um, and they were crushing and they were using pot stills, always the John Dor one, which is the smallest pot still. And then a little bit of endo for different flavor. And yeah, they started doing that in the mid two thousands, moving forward, you know, to, to get more of that sugarcane rum as we are going to be, uh, always trying to produce more and more rum. We need to kind of keep the ratios somehow online, but like really the sugarcane juice rum is really a salted pepper element or component to our blends. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the main focal point. It's just a little bit of a, it's a little bit of an added, yeah, spice, pepper, salt to uh, to your food. It's the Emerald Lagasse. Bam! Yeah, it's a, bam. <laughs> Spear of bam. A, another, oh, bam, that's it. Oh, well. <laughs> We went there. Um, <laughs> another another thing that might be able to serve as kind of a salt and pepper component. When we had Margaret Montplacy and, and, and Denny Duplacy on the show, it was about two years ago, Mar- Margaret shared that they were just getting into high ester rum production, which she said had long been another one of Laurie Barnard's pet projects that he wanted to get to someday. And I think you mentioned Linux at the distillery who is, you know, interested in that sort of thing as well. I, I wanted to just check in and see, you know, around two years later, any updates on that? And if that might be uh, sprinkled into a blend anytime soon? Unfortunately, no, no updates. Uh, so yes, Lori, Lori was curious about all of the different types of things you can do with Rome and, uh, and shared that with Linux. And Linux always had that curiosity and has has had an itch to scratch mm-hmm. but a we can't produce rum fast enough as we are today we can't produce rum that meets the demand from the distillery today for the brands plus we're going through all of these investment and upgrade overhauls so there hasn't been a lot of time or energy left over to do some innovation or to do other sort of development to uh, you know to create the facilities necessary to do that yeah mm-hmm. but it is it is there. It's just tabled as an idea. And I think that when we're done with the the tourism part of the distillery and everything is kind of set into place and we have everything that we have on the drawing board, you know, underway, then then you can maybe potentially see something like that. Got you know, it. It, it, it goes totally to the to the ethos and the philosophy behind Germans being the art of blending that we should be able to continue to impress the envelope further and um continuing to bring more flavors, more characters, more aromas to the blending team to work with to challenge them even further. So you you casually mentioned this a little bit earlier, and uh, I think I feel like it's kind of a breaking news story. And and I don't want to bury the lead with it, which is another distillery was recently added to your portfolio, St. Maurice from French Guiana, right, which makes La Belle Cabresse and some other brands. So hoping you can tell us a bit about how that came together and what we might be able to expect from that in the future. And is that going to be coming to the to the U.S. market? I know some Spiraband portfolio does not make it to the U.S. market. So I wanted to ask about that in particular. Yeah, well, it's, it's so new, John, but to 
yeah, to answer your question, simply put, was that that's another distillery not at all equipped to produce enough rum for the local demand. Not able to, yeah, not able, not able to keep up with the local market, and, yeah. and which what basically had happened was that it opened up the market to other rums first and foremost from the French Caribbean, so Clement and like Damozo from Guadeloupe, for example, and mm-hmm. rums from Guadeloupe and, and Martinique would come in, and uh, they were growing and, and were you know doing quite well just because they were filling the gap, filling the void of what the local distillery could produce in the family the the owners you know the 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 director at the time or now he's into his 70s and basically i from what what i can what from what i can understand is that um that you know basically at the end of his life cycle very tired was not going to uh put any more investment into the distillery or or to try to do what needed to be done to to keep up Mm -hmm. the the production keep up what was going on even with the brand to continue to innovate and and to accelerate the brand further or, or to do anything with it. And so, yeah, that's where we come involved. Yeah. So to answer your question, I don't think it's coming to the United States anytime soon. Mainly, it's mainly the same, if you can sort of see a theme here, there's going to be a tremendous, yeah. amount of, tremendous amount of work that has to be done in the distillery just to uh, right. get it produced at the level of quality that it needs to and the quantity, I guess, it needs to to reach the local market demand. And then as well as the next step would naturally be to go to the French market, where that is the largest French rum agricultural market in the world. And we have enough to do with Claude and Jame here. So, but, you know, when rum agricultural as a category is a little bit more better established, why not share with the American enthusiasts of rum agricultural that, uh, that we could potentially bring them some rum from French Guyana? No, that makes total sense. And and like you were saying, I'm starting to, to see the theme across how how you develop and uh, figure out ways to to make this viable as it goes forward. Let me ask you then real quick about Arcane, the Mauritian rum brand. I know that's been a little bit longer, but I know we haven't seen that in the U.S. market. Is that something that is starting to take shape yet, or is there still more to go? Um, with Arcane, it hasn't come to the United States yet. We could bring it over whatever we really wanted to. On that note, though, I feel that the American rum consumer still struggles with Mauritius on the whole. Like, hmm. nowhere. Yeah, don't even know where it is, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with all due respect, all my American friends out there, I mean, <laughs> but but Mauritius is another, you know, an island quite literally on the other side of the world. And the Mauritius rums that I see here in the market, where there are a, a few small expressions. They're great. I think people that get them, they collect them because they are rums that uh, you don't see every day. And, you know, they could have their own unique flavor profile. And I think they see them as kichi, you know, as far as collector. I don't, what I don't see is a, a lot of people like reaching for, you know, hundreds of bottles of Mauritius rum. Yes. Sure. Right. It's sure. more like, oh, I need to get some something from Mauritius because I don't have anything else from right. there. You know, it's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's like just, a, it's like a rum catalog item sort of. Yeah. Totally. Totally. It's, yeah. It, I'm glad you get what I'm saying is because it's so it's it's one bottle that you know you're gonna put in your closet and never look at again, and I don't want it to be like that. And maybe we could be doing better ourselves if we were to bring in Arcan and and to try to do that. But that is probably too much of a tall order for us to do with everything we're doing already with Clement and Jam and Chairman's. I was just going to say to follow that up with agricole specifically, as you've mentioned kind of a couple of times of where the U.S. market is as a whole with agricole. 
what are the next few key things you need to see or that you feel needs to happen in that market? Obviously, more sales, but like, how are we planning the next, I don't know, five years of getting that to, to, to reach that level? Is there things you have in mind overall as general ideas? You know, it's, it's, it's really based by feeling. It's a great question, but it has to be really based by feeling. And, you know, the good news is that sales are going, growing every year. And there's not, it, there's not like a, a, a threshold that we need to like hit before we trigger. Okay, this thing. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Really, it's really unlocked. Based, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really based by by feeling on the whole. But and we come a long way. I agree. Yeah, we've come a long way. So I, you know, I I can't. I, I have to say we we have to acknowledge that. No, so I no, it's onward and upward. I'm. I can't not mention the fact that it's been it's been really darling to see what's happened with mezcal as well as other, you know, agave distillates, not mm-hmm. even tequila. And I would say that if we could see that type of interest and enthusiasm that uh, mezcal and other agave spirits are enjoying come into and pollinate the agricultural category, I'm not, I'm really not trying to make a comparison between the two, but I mean, but if that, I mean, it makes sense. That would be, you know, I would say that would be a blueprint that mm, would follow. On, on the note of growing enthusiasm for rum agricole and other cane juice rum styles from around the world in the U.S., we are, I mean, we've just been seeing not just not only more and more rum agricole in the U.S. market, but more and more cane juice distillates, cane juice rums, you know, that yeah. go by a laundry list of names. And I imagine from your perspective as someone, you know, who got into this because it was like, let's bring rum clement back to the u.s you know this one brand i imagine seeing the growth and how far it's come is is really cool and even maybe seeing some of those other styles of cane juice rum getting appreciation as well um as kind of you know a a rising tide lifts all boats sort of thing but it can also perhaps introduce challenges for example things that are not agricole being called agricole both by producers sometimes and consumers just kind of getting confused as well so what I wanted to ask was how how can brands from different rum making traditions kind of elevate the cane juice category together while also educating consumers on what makes them distinct from one another like you know a, a Charanda from a rum agricole for example or something like that yeah so the Toronto, for example, that's a good that's a good one. But on the whole, I think that I really do believe that people need to talk about what they do and how they do it for themselves, and not try to uh, mimic or borrow or steal mm-hmm. <laughs> the you know what are culturally protected in some cases, but just culturally processes of, of producing rum. So getting to rum alcohol, I you know I. I buy in and I fully believe that rum agriculture should only be show up on a label if it's coming from the French overseas territories, which is exactly or not just French overseas territories, but that are that are identified and protected by the European Union. So that is Martinique and Guadeloupe and French Guiana. And then you have Renian Island in the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. And then you actually have Madeira, some right. islands in Spain. And the European Union recognizes those islands as Ron Agricola from, from the Spanish islands first and Ron Agricola from the French overseas territory. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, you could say Sugarcane Juice Rome, you could say Sharonda, you could say anything that's specific to your to your own ways. But what I yeah, what I don't think is fair is when you just see Rome Agricole on a thrown on a label, you know, you know, and you see that from a lot of US American distilleries and and I've done, you know, 
my part, I believe, on a private level, just to send some notes and some messages to say, hey, you know, yeah, have a deeper thought into that because you know you're imitating something that is kind of hard to, for you to do. You know, there's microflora <laughs> and fauna and and terroir specific elements you know from soil to tropical weather to to rain to sun to wind everything that that uh, that makes rum agricole from that specific area what it is one of the most egregious like most insulting that i've ever seen was when somebody told me that they were making rum agricole and i and i said i don't just like I, I'm, please walk me through your process because from where you tell me your distilleries i just don't think it's possible to grow sugarcane there Oh no! Of course we can't grow sugarcane there. You just use I the take, evaporated stuff, right? <laughs> I take I take gra- I take sugar sugarcane granular crystals or something like that. I mean, granulated sugar could mean sugar. It's like yeah, yeah, sugar, but but you know, <laughs> yeah. evaporate, evaporated cane juice, which is ships to me in crystals, and then I add water and I bring it back to juice, and then I and then I just so from like. I mean, what, and I was now I got a little cheeky with them. I was like, what's, what's the difference from me, of me getting like a box of brown sugar from the grocery store, adding water and making my own rub like you? Oh, no, you can do that. <laughs> no, I can't. So, I mean, like a lot happens to sugar when you process it into sugar, sugar, sugar. When, a lot happens to this sugar when you press it from sugar cane and sugar mm-hmm. cane into sugar and molasses, which is for better or for worse, it is what it is. And you know, by the way, we own a molasses-based distillery. We we <laughs> you make great rums for molasses, and yeah, which is a different thing. But I think rum agricole is is you know you have to really respect the the culture, the time honored traditions that were went into to to doing that. And um, you know, within rum agricole, there's already enough strife as far as you know restrictions and and trying to produce and, and grow and develop and 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 remain respectful and and carry on the, the, the traditions as well as the identifiable identifiable flavor profile and character yeah. aromas that are specific to what is rum agricole and when you know for better or for worse somebody else picks up a, a a rum that comes from a different part of the world that you can't produce rum agricole in you know you could you could easily mislead the consumer and and really it's a disrespect to to the producers who have been doing it for hundreds of years because you know you're misleading and you're and you're you're imitating in a poor way potentially maybe you're doing a great job i don't know but it's not it's not rub agricole so mm-hmm. it's like it's it, the imitation is is not flattery it's really disrespectful and that it it, it uh really can change the profile and change the opinion of a of a customer of what is rub agricole and it's protected with scotch the scotch whiskey association is very very strong very strong where you know you can't say i don't know oregon scotch whiskey you can't say indian scotch whiskey you know it's protected with champagne you can't just throw champagne on a label you know it has to come from, from the champagne region now unfortunately you know i told you in europe it's well protected so right. these producers if you're producing i guess if, you, if, if i'm going to be picking on american domestic craft rum distilleries here if they have Romaricole on their label, if they ever want to export and, and sell their bottles in Italy or France or, or Belgium call it something or else, Germany, yeah. they can't, they have to change their label. Yeah. So why even bother to, to develop your brand like that if you already know that you're in the wrong? Legally, in some parts of the world, you're in the wrong. Now, here in the United States, unfortunately, we're, we're a little antiquated. And, you know, if you go to the other spirit categories, you are a brandy and then you get into cognac and armagnac. It's very simple. You see right there on the TTV website, yeah. when you get the cognac, it says, Brandy distilled from grapes grown in the cognac region. Mm-hmm. It gives you a website to say for more information about what is cognac, 
reference the BNIC right. or Armagnac or Calvados. And that's all I'm asking for in the TTB for rum. Right now, rum is a, is a derivative of sugar and sugar cane and molasses or sugar drink, derivative, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're on the same shelf with everybody else from Bacardi to Captain Morgan to, to Blue Chair Bay, to like, which are all great brands. But to Zacapa, to, to Diplomatico, to everybody. But like the point is that all of these rums aren't very similar to each other. Mm-hmm. That's the point I'm trying to make. And that um, I think the rum category is as deep and as wide and as vast as the whiskey category, but seems to be that people have a much easier time in, to be able to distinguish between what is scotch whiskey and what is bourbon. Right. And even when it's scotch, you have single malts, and you have like Speyside and Highland and, and Isla and what have you, and then you have blended scotch. And then even if you want to go through the whole whiskey map, you know, between Japanese whiskey to Canadian whiskey to yep. American whiskey to Irish whiskey, if you go into a store, they're all basically stacked up next to each other. And so you can shop the Irish whiskey aisle, you can shop the bourbon aisle, you can shop the, the scotch whiskey aisle. And typically a scotch drink is not a bourbon drink or vice versa, but in the rum aisle, it's it's a mess. Right, right. Yeah. And then when you get into agriculture, like, I think more brands makes more business and more business makes more business. That's great. I, I think that, you know, rising the tide to, to float all the boats. I, I fully, fully believe in all of that, but there has to be, there's a line of where, you know, you can't cross to, to remain fair. Not to me, me personally, but I don't have much to do with it, but I'm talking about ancestors and family and, and, and families, not just my family, but people who have, who, who put blood, sweat and tears into their own brands, into their own way of producing rum where, Somebody who, you know, is a dot-com trustafarian who wants to throw sugarcane from uh, South America into a still that he has in, uh, I don't know, Nebraska. It's it's not the same. Lizard's breath rum. Yeah, yeah. Li- lizard yeah. breath rum. Yeah. Um, I just got that dot-com address, by the way. So <laughs> now I'm joking. <laughs> one, one thing I wanted to circle back to real quick. You, you mentioned there can be a little bit of strife and debate on certain regulations within the Martinique AOC and stuff like that. And there's always, there's been tons of conversations about GIs and everything with rum over the years. We're seeing some new ones come, come into being. And a lot of times people have the concern of whether a GI will be too restrictive or anything. The AOC, it's been around since the 90s. Is that correct? 1996. Yeah, yeah 96. So you, you've had some time, a few decades to sit with it, to marinate with it. What do you think it does really well? And are there certain things about it that you do find frustrating or that you wish were different in some way? What it does well is a little bit what we talked about as far as, I, well, what does it do well? As a protected, as a really protected origin, I think it, it's a leader. It's a mentor to what other regions are trying to do. I don't think it's, you know, I, I think you have your, or you have your own origin, but, but, and then you have your own style. And I think those two, two things, I, I think those are two different things, but they are in, in, intertwined kind of also as one of the same. So I do like the protection of the traditional flavor profile that when you see rum agricole on a label and you see the AOC on a label, that you have a good understanding of what you should be able to expect as far as a flavor profile character, aroma, what have you, and that you should feel very confident that, you know, you can spend the money that you're going to spend and get a good bottle of, of, of rum. You may not love it, but you're going to get, you're not going to get a piece of trash. It's yeah. going to, it's going to be really good. And you're going to have a, a, a fairly good understanding, you know, expected flavor profile. So I, I, 
I like that part of it. What I don't like about it, I don't know. Um, I don't find it terribly restrictive. I like the challenge that uh, all of the producers have that they have to create their own identity and, and, and they put their own thumbprints on their bottles within what I still believe is a fairly wide open category of, of innovation and exploration. I, I, I don't like some of the very nitpicky sort of small details that can discourage certain parts of pieces of the innovation, which just really just doesn't make sense. There's, there's just, these are just small little like sort of loopholes and nuances that some people can kind of get around and if you want to or what have you, but I just don't see how it brings that any added value. And I'm just talking about, I don't know, like what you can, I'm not trying to say like, you know, flavored rums or anything like that, which is totally prohibited, but um, staying within, you know, culturally type of, you know, like for, I don't know, we make Creole shrub, for example, mm-hmm. you know, we, use, we, we, we use cane spirit in the rum, but we're not allowed to say that we use rum agricole in the rum. <laughs> oh, really? Because you can't use the word rum agricole if you're going to add like sugar or, flavors or all those things so we use cane spirit in the room gotcha yeah. mm-hmm. come on guys we all know where it's coming from <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like i don't know like, those but like but i i can i can live with all that right but it can be i don't know certain certain little details you know you're not allowed to use like two two basically aocs together on the same label so for example when we did the JM Calvados finish, cognac finish, Armagnac finish. Those were not AOC Marnique rums because the two AOCs canceled themselves out. I mean, that's not exactly why, but basically that's what it is. You're not, you know, you're not allowed to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much of a straightforward framework. So, but ultimately, that doesn't discourage us from from doing anything outside of the AOC mm-hmm. rum agricole category. We still pr- produce the way we produce, but when we do those type of releases. We're releasing them for the benefit of the brand and not benefit of the of the AOC, for example. So, you know, we believe that uh, our Rum JM fans will buy that Rum JM Calvados finish because it's Rum JM, and we're right. decided to try to do this Calvados finish. And and the fact that it doesn't say AOC Martinique Rum Agricole on the label anymore, I, I don't think it prohibits anyone from buying the bottle. If it does, then so be it. More for us. I've been thinking about something recently. This is kind of a sharp turn, but go with me here. Food pairings and spirits, I've been thinking about a little bit. And I feel like with your background of wine and beer, as you mentioned, and then also a lover of great food and culinary arts, you'd be the perfect person to to talk about this with. Why do you think there isn't as much attention or association, would be a good word, with food pairings, with spirits, particularly rum, but any spirits, when there is with wine and beer? I think because of acid. Interesting. I think you need acid to make a good food pairing. You need other things that to make a good food pairing, but, and spirits do contain some acids, but not to the same level like that you have with beer and, right, and wine. Right. Oh, I see, um, I see. But you have, but that doesn't mean that you can't do food pairings. It's just that I, because of the question of acid, I think you are, you know, you're a little bit more pigeonholed or you're a little bit more uh, limited. Yeah. Limited. I do like food pairings with rum and cocktails, but more so with rum or, or with spirits. But I find that they are successful when you are cooking with the same product or at least something similar. So it's, it's really nice when you can enjoy the rum on the side and pair it. But I'm like, you know, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be saying like, Oh, you know, I love how I'm drinking Clamont VSOP and I could pair it with the 
with the fattiness I'm getting out of the salmon from from mm. uh, from Alaska. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, I can enjoy a glass of rum right. put together, but like I'm sure. not picking up these things. But if someone were to make like a I don't know a Caribbean sort of jerk sauce for that salmon using the VSOP with some other fruits and some nut or whatever or some spices, and I'm like, oh, I can really taste. Come on, BSOP in my hand, and it's really now it's bringing Echoed. up mm-hmm. echo the flavors mm-hmm. of the sauce, or whatever. and you can do that with you know salads and all that stuff. So I've done some food pairings and and rum for sure, and and even with cocktails, and so cocktails bring that acid, right? And so ca- cocktails can bring that acid, and you can bring some fruits and stuff like that. And so I like cocktails when when you you know pairing with food again, trying to. Mm-hmm. Use the acid to cut through the fat on, on the food side, or 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 vice versa. Trying to get you know some some fattiness into your from your from your spirit or from your cocktail that's you know that's cutting through some of the acid that's in the food, and it depends on you know, if you're you know what you're t- if you're talking about first course with vegetables and fruits mm-hmm, and uh, right. the proteins in the middle to to desserts and all this stuff. And rums actually usually do tend or rum and spirits do t- tend to do very well with with the dessert courses. Right. As a pairing, even meat, because in rums, you start to get a lot of raisins and dates and some mm-hmm. banana notes. Yeah. And it, yeah. you get a, a lot of these type of flavors, you know, and coffee notes that are in the spirits that are in the rum that will typically appear in dessert courses. Yeah. Uh, so that's usually a little easier. So it's more of an amplification than a complementary type of thing. I right. see what you're getting at. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, now that we've... You guys were... I thought this was supposed to be an easy one. <laughs> an easy... <laughs> I'm on the grill. Well, I, I think one of John's original ideas was to throw you some rums and, and suggest what to pair them with, but we'll we'll spare you from that because I, I think I think we've gotten the idea that, you know, it's it's a little bit more difficult and, and not yeah. quite as straightforward as, as a wine, for example. But, right. but the best was I, I, I got challenged, and I've done it now twice in my, I don't know, 18, 19 year career, I guess pairing with cigars and i'm not a huge cigar smoker so so i was doing it by smell uh-huh. and also talking with a humidor a lot but yeah doing it by smell and it was fun you got some orange notes and whatnot. i mean i'll smoke a cigar here and there but when i'm smoking a cigar i can't taste anything so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i i just actually recently I, I was talking with one of our listeners who is a cigar smoker and was asking because i've you know i've smoked cigars here and there over the years but i'm not a regular cigar smoker and i've i've I, I know that pairing rum with cigars is something some people do, but I've literally never experienced it. So I'm going to try to do it for the first time sometime in the next uh, few weeks. And yeah. I'm interested to see how it'll go. Well, ben, I, we've covered all the distilleries. We've covered food. We even got cigars a little bit there at the end. There's only one thing left for us to do, which is our special bonus segment on the Rumcast. And I wanted to tell you in advance, I'm not sure if you heard it, but Kiowa Brian, who works with you, delivered maybe probably a top top three performance on the rapid fire round of questions on the roadcast of all the guests we've had she was very great very quick with her answers she she sang briefly in in one of her answers which (laughs) was great yeah Um, i'm not gonna try to keep up with you (laughs) (laughs) he's an insanely talented lady okay so even if you aim for just doing like slightly worse than she did you'd still do really really well so but this is this is our our bonus segment of questions created by my co-host john gulla john is there anything you want to share rules any anything like that before before we get started 
no rules really, Ben, but we try to keep them short for this. We're going to get to as many of these as we can within roughly a minute. We'll say big time roughly Mm -hmm. and just get through as many quick answers. There's no right. There's no wrong. You can say whatever you want. Be as silly or as serious as you like. Okay, let's go. All right. I've got 60 seconds and go. All right, Ben. Neat or on the rocks? Neat. Column, pot or blend? Blend. All right. Aged or unaged? Unaged. That has to be tough for you. Okay, unaged. <laughs> Molasses or cane juice? That one not as tough for you, I think. Come on. I don't know. He's, he's got, he's got right. SLD in the portfolio, that's, too. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're, you're kind of screwed with that one. Yeah. All right. Um, with the surname Jones, do you have a dog or a pet named Indiana? No. <laughs> <laughs> you should. I mean, I or like, I just, I don't know, like Benjamin Jones and the Forgotten Casks of St. Lucia just sounds right to me. So... <laughs> All right, your favorite person to share a bottle of rum agricole with? A bottle? A whole bottle? <laughs> you don't have to finish the whole bottle. <laughs> no, my uncle, Noel Mela. Okay. Kiwa taught us how to pronounce rum jam in the French way last time, but I wanted to see, can you also pronounce it again? Because I, I'm just not sure the way it needs to be said. Can you say, how does how does it get pronounced? Well, with my congested nose, it's going to be easier. Rum jam. Okay. Rum jam. Rum GM. Now, if it was literally rum GM as in the letter GM, how would you say that then in French? <laughs> rum GM. <laughs> That's perfect. Got it. Okay, got it. Um, is it true that the John Doerr 1 and John Doerr 2 still names are lovingly referred to by distillery employees at SLD as Little John Doerr and Big John Doerr Stud? <laughs> no, but we're going to start that tomorrow. <laughs> All right, perfect. I feel like it should be on the label there, on it. Um, your go-to cocktail or mixed drink that's not a tea punch or a daiquiri? And and uh, would be a rum old-fashioned or, or, or a rum zarek. Okay. Oh, rum zarek. Right, we have to circle back. We have to yeah. circle back to that because um, I love Sazeracs. Yes. You've got now rums from three different island nations in the Caribbean, Martinique, St. Lucia, and Guadeloupe. It's almost like you were like Thanos collecting the infinity gems here. If you could socket two more island countries in the Caribbean into your gauntlet, which two are they? The Caribbean? Yes. Jamaica and maybe Dominican Republic. Oh, wow. wow. I wasn't expecting, wasn't expecting that, one. that one. Jamaica was given, but okay. All right, cool. Yeah, they're doing great stuff and very, okay. di- very different than what we do. Have you ever been in the same room with Shaquille O'Neal? And if so, who is taller? I've never been in the same room with Shaquille O'Neal, so I don't know. <laughs> but you're we, pretty we tall can't, We can't say for sure who is taller, then. <laughs> They've never been in the same room together. Yeah, no, he's much taller. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Rum JM is named for Jean-Marie Martin, which makes sense, JM. But if yep. you look at the branding and the bottles for Rum JM, the period after the M is missing. It's branded as J period M. What happened to the period after the M? It's French. You'll never know. <laughs> That's a great answer. Okay. I'm glad you asked that because I've been wondering that too because um, I, I my day job, I write a lot. So I usually notice little weird things. And I've always noticed that when the company, you know, Rum GM writes it out, they only use one period. And everyone else, I feel like if you see it in a magazine article or whatever, they use two. And yeah. I'm always like, why only the one? I said it's a French thing. You wouldn't get it. No, right. I, yeah, that's that's what I, I that's have what a I theory. chalk it up to. I have a theory, though, and this is totally probably the wrong theory, but my theory <laughs> is, as I was researching how to say rum GM, rum GM in, with a French accent, I used Google Translator and I put it in. And when I did that, it said G Monsieur. 
because apparently M period means monsieur as the 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 like the abbreviated form. So maybe I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with no. It's not G M Monsieur. It's Martin. So you can't put the period after it. Ah, never mind. It's, it's, it's I'm not French enough. So I you're saying understand. like M period in French is like M R period in English? Yes. So, okay. So weirdly, it it wouldn't pronounce it for me unless I took the period away, and then it did it right. So. There you go. That's, my, the that's my prevailing theory. Yes, but apparently, oh. as Ben said, I'm not French enough to understand. Yeah, but when when they decided to do that on the label, Google Translate didn't exist. <laughs> that's true. That is yeah. well, good point. There goes that theory. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> I don't think they. I don't think they were consulting Google Translate when they were <laughs> branding. Good point. Can't refute that. Well, Ben, before uh, before we let you go, any anything we didn't get to, anything coming down the pipeline from any of uh, the many brands in the Spirit Bomb portfolio that you want to give people a heads up on? No, I just say stay tuned. It's going to be another year. There should be another expression or another rum to, to show you guys. Awesome. Right. Well, we will look forward to it excitedly. Thanks awesome. again for Thank being you. on the show. Oh, it was yeah. my pleasure. Honestly, it was fantastic. I love you guys. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening to another episode of the Rumcast. If you have any questions about this episode, any thoughts on all things Spearbomb, the whole portfolio, it's a big portfolio now. It's it growing. Is. There's lots of stuff going on. We'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, reactions. Please send us an email, host at rumcast.com. That's H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. We love getting emails from listeners. It's, it's always great, great way to catch up, interact. We appreciate them. So keep them coming. Uh, but if you don't like email, if you're not old fashioned like I am, John, where can they find us online? Yeah, if you're not, you know, part of that older crowd like Will, who, you know, has to stick to email, doesn't use social media, stays above the fray, then you can do that. But if you're like me, if you're hip, if you're young, if you're on all the, the social media web atmosphere, you and all definitely that. sound hip right now. <laughs> Way to talk yourself up. Where do they uh, go on the on the web hip atmosphere thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, you're going to go on social media to uh, Facebook or Instagram at the Rumcast. You can find us there. You can direct message us through there if you have a shorter thing you want to share with us. Or you can just leave a comment. Leaving comments is fine. We actually had a lot of comments this week on the Facebook group for people talking about the blind Foursquare test, too, yeah. and, and bouncing off each other. So, you know, don't be shy. Don't be leave shy. Leave a comment. It's fine. We're a nice group here. We, <laughs> we, we, we foment It's not the Ministry of Rum. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> It's he, the he end of the episode. Will. No one he will hear that will. anyway. Don't That's worry right. about it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, check us out there. If not, uh, send us an email. But do get in touch with us. Let us know. We always love hearing from you. And if you've got any interesting things you want us to talk about, let us know that too. So hit us up. And uh, thank you all for so much for listening to us ramble on about crazy things and about rum as well. We appreciate you. And we always look forward to the Patreon happy hours, which, Will, there's one coming up, right? That's right. There is one coming up at the end of this month. May 31st will be our monthly happy hour for our Cask Strength Rumcast patrons. Great group. We always have a blast on there. So if you'd like to share a virtual glass with us and the gang, go to patreon.com slash the Rumcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the Rumcast. We've got happy hours bonus episodes all kinds of stuff going on there so a growing community we'd love to see you there as well and as always we appreciate the support that we get from our patrons but john i think that's it for this episode until next time i'll talk to you you then. then